Okay. Having got to know um, uh, folks here and chatting and stuff, um, and I guess it's, it can be true wherever you are in the world, there are lots of stories people tell about having been, in a sense, spiritually burnt by the topic of money. And even some people would say, I felt a little abused at the way money was spoken about, or about the expectations that was placed on me, or the guilt that was placed on me. And sometimes people have said, I felt like I was commanded to give, and made to feel guilty if I didn't give. And I guess I've been very aware of that, that that people had been hurt by how money had been taught or communicated about. And the danger is that when there's one error on one extreme, which is abusive talk about money that burns people and makes people feel guilty, there is another extreme that we can take to money, which is you never talk about it at all. So one extreme is... It's all about money. Everything's about money. Your personal blessing, your personal health, your personal wealth is all about your giving. And then on the other extreme, you never mention it. And both are errors. So I hold my hand up and say, for good reason, not to burn people, I've gone to the other extreme where you never mention it, which is error. (laughs) Okay, so it's good to kick off a preach by saying, I'm sorry that in response to one error, we went completely to the other extreme. When Jesus talked about money more than he talked about hell. Okay, so we have to find a biblical way of talking about a topic that impacts our life very practically every single day without falling into the one extreme which can be abusive and the other extreme where you don't talk about it. Because actually there's a lot at stake here. There's a lot at stake here. And uh, Jesus... In Matthew um, 6, um, 19, he, kind of, he, he goes over in a, a quick way some of the things that are at stake if you never talk about money or your relationship with money isn't right. Matthew chapter 6 and... Uh, Verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then he says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he makes it really explicit. You cannot serve 
both God and money. Or another translation for money could be mammon, which is, which is the, you can't serve the spirit sometimes that's behind money, where you begin to trust money like a god, like a deity, trusting it for your future, trusting it for your security, trusting it for your identity, trusting it for your kids' security, trusting it for your future. So he's saying, actually, you can't serve both God and the spirit of money. It, and in, later when you read in the Bible, it's not money that's evil, it's the love of money that's evil. So I'm going to pray for us. Yeah, Holy Spirit, we, we want to we want to go right in that something called the radical middle on money because we want to be devoted to you God, your purposes and the expansion of your kingdom so we pray Holy Spirit even right now where even the topic has made some feel like old wounds have been opened and old scabs have been unscratched I pray God for a real healing this morning as we look at this topic of money that we can understand how grace empowers our giving we do ask you for healing touches even right now where some have been experienced one extreme where the whole fear of their future was rooted in am I giving enough that we pray for freedom God this morning in your name Jesus and for some of us where we've worshipped mammon We've worshipped the spirit of money, where our confidence is more in money than it is in you, God. Set us free from that, God. Set us free that we might enter into the joy of freedom in your name, Jesus. We pray for that, for freedom this morning. In your name. Amen. So Jesus in these verses is saying, our attitude to money is really important because it's about our spiritual health and well-being. That our attitude to money, if, it's, if we begin to worship money, can actually lead to a despising and a hating of God. So he's saying, look at your heart and check where you're serving, check where you're storing, check where you're looking to, because money can make you believe that real treasure is just on earth and not eternal. Money can take your eyes off the fact that we've got an eternal destiny with a reward. Money can take your eyes off loving and enjoying God and cause you to worship a harsh taskmaster. And so Jesus says about money, it's really about the individual's personal health in their heart. When Jesus talks about the sower sowed some seed, he talks about that the desire for other things, the desire for riches, can choke out the seed that God spoke. That God can speak something into our life that's really big and really powerful and really amazing. But he says actually the love for other things, the love for money, the love for riches, can actually choke out the seed and stop it developing and stop us going into the process of a 30, 60, 100 times yield. So when we're talking about money, we're really talking about the spiritual health of our hearts. We're not, I'm not going to take up an offering after, okay? We're not going to tell you about our, the, the, we're, not gonna, this, we're not today going to talk about budgets. We're not going to tell you about um, finances in the church. We're not going to put a basket up and say, because actually what we're interested in is about the garden of your heart. 
because this is about where weeds can grow up and choke out life. Actually, it's about going and saying, actually, um, that I'm worshipping money. I've got to get hold of that weed because it's choking out the seed of God. It's choking out the life of God. And so the whole topic of money then is a critical thing about our spiritual health. And so by not speaking about it, it takes us down the line where actually our hearts can be choked by something and we don't even realise it. And so what I want to do very briefly is just talk about a couple of wrong foundations for giving and then a really strong, important foundation for giving. I want to talk about the foundation of our giving because everything in the kingdom is about heart response to the king. Everything's about relationship. Everything is a relational thing, okay? Everything we... Um, our, 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 everything about our own maturity, it comes through relationship. Our giving is about relationship with God. And Paul in Corinthians, in the whole chapter of chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is instructing the Corinthians church about a particular offering for some saints who are going through hardship. And um, we'll, we'll, do, we'll duck in and out of chapter 8 and pull out some things. But... The first thing is just to say, giving has to sit on a right biblical foundation. See, God, God is not looking for servants, okay? God is not looking for servants who dutifully give with heaviness. God is not looking that from today you feel that you've left here and someone's put a heavy weight on you that you feel is heavy and that now you've got to go away and dutifully give. God is not looking for dutiful servants who see him as a burden. God is a delight. To know God is a delight. God is not a burden who needs to be carried by men and women. And so this is all about relationship. This is all about relating to God. And God is not about wanting our giving to be sitting on a foundation of fear and legalism. God is not looking and saying, if you want to earn my favour, if you want to earn my provision, if you want to earn that promotion, or if you want to earn that job, or you want to earn the safety of your family, or you want to earn anything else, you need to give. God does not go in the business of you earn his favour. Giving does not save you. Giving does not bring you in the kingdom. Giving does not make you a son or daughter of the king. Okay, that You cannot earn his favour. You cannot earn his favour. Paul says about it's the grace of giving, he says in 2, in 2 Corinthians 8 um, verse 7. He says that to the Corinthians, excel in this grace of giving. You, you cannot earn God's favour. His favour is freely disposed as a gracious gift of his loving kindness. Paul says in Romans 5, when you were enemies, he loved you. When you were dead in your sins, but God. Okay, when you were a spiritual corpse, he loved you. He loved you. He wanted you when you had nothing to offer, when you were in enmity in your mind, an enemy in your thinking, he loved you and wanted you. God so loved the world that he gave his son. It doesn't so much God so looked at the world and saw who was giving and then loved. He says he looked at us in our broken 
sinful, rebellious, God-hating attitude and freely, graciously, mercifully favoured us. It wasn't something that we won, merited, deserved in any way. We were dead. Don't know about you, when I was dead spiritually, I wasn't thinking about giving. (coughs) And yet he graciously came to me and saved me. So God isn't looking for fear or legalism. Nor, another wrong foundation, is leaders commanding you to give. That's a wrong foundation. Wrong foundation number one is being a dutiful, heavy, burdened servant who just sees God as a burden, got to carry. Nor is it earning his favour. Nor is it because a leader commanded you. In chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians and verse 8, he says, I am not commanding you. Paul says that to the Corinthian church when he's he's raising an offering, he does not use commanding as a motivation for radical generosity. It's something on this extreme where someone commanded you, believed that spiritual authority could command generosity. Well, it, it can't. Paul, the great apostle, did not command the Corinthian church to give. Nor will we command you to give. Listen, this is really important. If you don't want to give, please don't give. Alright? If you don't want to, if you really don't want to, then don't. Okay? You're free. You're free. You're free. And maybe that's why we found ourselves on this extreme. To avoid repeating the error of commanding, went to the other extreme of never talking about it. And that's wrong. (coughs) What he's looking for is sons and daughters who have fallen in love. Watched this movie the other day, and I think it's called The Fifth Estate, and it's about WikiLeaks, and it's about the founder, you know, WikiLeaks, the guy who's just getting all political stuff out there on the web, and... Interesting movie. And he meets a guy who's a bit... He's a, he loves computers, okay? This guy absolutely loves computers. And this guy gets captivated by the vision of the power of information being liberated across the world. He gets gripped by a vision. And there's one scene that's amazing. The founder of WikiLeaks wants to expand... And he wants to get, I don't understand this works, but he wants to get servers all over Europe so no one can close them down. This guy is captivated by the, by the vision of the freedom of information and says this, I've got a few thousand euros saved, I'll pay for the servers. And then you see a scene where they're driving all over Europe, fitting servers into Switzerland, into Germany, into France. 
because somebody willingly, as a free will, wanted to give to the vision to see information released. He wasn't under any coercion, whatever you say. Coercion. Coercion, yeah, that's the word. I can't say it. (laughs) He freely did it. God is looking for sons and daughters who have been in his presence, who get ruined by his love, captivated by his vision, and say... I willingly, from a full heart, I'm in, Father, for the expansion of your vision through the local church to impact the world. And and, and I think that movie just set it up. (laughs) Just said that. You see, when someone just commands you to give, it doesn't connect your heart to the Father and his huge global mission. And so Paul says in, in, in verse 8, he says, I'm not commanding you to give, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing with the greatness of others, which is the Macedonians who are radical in the giving. And then he says this, I want to hold this up as an example for your giving. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that through his poverty might become rich. He says, I'm not going to command you to give, but I'm going to hold up Jesus. I'm going to hold up the radical nature of the glorious king who steps into poverty, in that sense, when he's stepping out of glory to come down here and be with us. That's coming into poverty when you're the infinite one and you limit yourself to a human body and you become fully man, fully God. So I want to compare you, I want to, to see him, and I want your giving to be compelled by the generosity of God towards you. And so that you'll see his generous love, and you'll experience his generous love, and then what will spring out will be a willing, eager, free, joyful giving. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16... He gives them a few other instructions about giving. And again, he's talking about this collection. And he says, Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And so he's saying on the first day of every week, out of what you have, not out of what you don't have. It's not about comparing who gives more. It's about actually what are you starting with? But because you've been gripped by him and you don't see him as a burden, don't give God your leftovers. That's really what he's saying. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Don't know about you, if you wait to the end of the month, there's nothing left. 
<clears throat> but Paul is saying, be regular, be systematic in your giving. Don't just give the leftovers. In other words, take that first portion of what you get from, from whatever you're employed. I'm giving it to you, God, because everything I have comes from you. This is a, a priority of my life. I'm, the first I'm going to do with this month is, as quick as I possibly can, I'm going to offer it to you because everything comes from you. And I'm going to be systematic and regular with it. And then it says in 2 Corinthians, it says they, it, this offering they took up was entrusted to the leadership, to Titus and the leaders um, to administrate. It says that in verse 9. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us to carry the offering which we administrate in order to honour the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administrate this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right. And so the teaching of the Bible is, everything comes from you, God, and so I'm going to systematically, proportionally give the first portion to you as a worship declaration that everything I have comes from you and I'm going to our first importance going to pour that into local church for leadership to administrate and steward well for the furtherance and the advancement of the kingdom and he says that earlier on he says first you gave it to God and then you gave it to us and you can read in Malachi 3 it talks about the, the, the tithe coming into the storehouse that there might be food in the storehouse and in 1 Timothy 5.17 Paul talks about how um, how finances serve and enable to release people to serve God in a full time way so I want to finish with a couple of stories okay and I've never told these stories publicly because actually one of the things you don't do is you don't talk about yourself because you don't want to make out your, your something and so you don't tell the testimonies of what God's done which actually can be false humility which is, can be wrong as well you can believe. and actually Paul in the Bible says he does say follow his example and I, I just want to encourage you with some stories about what Rochelle and I have done not so that you go away thinking, oh wow, aren't they amazing? But just to talk about the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God and our own stories about finance and giving. And when we, when we first got married, we knew that giving was, was, was a done deal already. We'd both been regular givers, really, with, with, with students or in our jobs. It was just it was, it was one of our habits already. So we, we got married and we'd always been those who, the first portion, we give it to God. And um, because we were getting married in France, people generously um, gave us money for our wedding because there was no way we could set up home by um, bringing fridges and freezers and washing machines from France to come. We thought, that's, that's silly. Why don't we just give you the money for you to buy those things? And then you can buy them with that money. Although what I will say is, I did manage to get a widescreen TV <laughs> from France. Because actually, in those, when we got married, France was the only place in Europe that had, where you could buy widescreen TVs. Because in England, it was still boxes. But France, because they love cinema, had widescreen TVs. So we did get a widescreen TV across from France. That was a life-giving priority. <laughs> so we had this money, and we were renting my mum's house. So we didn't need to immediately buy... 
buy any anything for our house. So we have it in the bank for when we got our own house. And just as we moved out, the, the church that we were part of, we were, on a, we were just about to build a building or buy a building. And I think we had to raise, um, I believe it was like 60-something thousand pounds in two weeks to get the building because that, that was, that there was a time frame on it. And so there was, a, there was an offering. And I remember we looked at each other and said, we, 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 we give half away of what we'd got on our, um, our wedding gift because... We wanted to set the momentum of our marriage towards generosity and giving. That was that, and, and I think even he looked back and think, well, we, we didn't have, you know, the, the, there was too much month at the end of the money every month, and uh, but it, it, I think for us, it just in God, it just felt that we was we were laying a foundation for our marriage, and that we wanted it to be built upon sacrificial generosity that trusted God even though it felt uncomfortable and and so we did that and gave in to the building fund um, there was another occasion when um, I'm sure this doesn't happen to you does it that you, 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 you feel in church you get a bit grumpy has, has that ever, ever happened to you no, but but we, we felt a bit grumpy about something, and uh, there was an offering actually, and the, and the offering was because the church didn't have enough money to pay all the bills and the rent and the workers, uh, and we got a bit grumpy about that. We thought that's not a very exciting offering, and you know, just giving for maintenance that doesn't grip us. And I remember it was a Tuesday, and I was I don't know I was about to teach, and I, we were chatting on the phone, and we said whatever we've decided, we're doubling it. Because we both discerned that a, um, a root was getting in our hearts, which was grumbling and grumpiness. And we thought to kill it, you give. And you give twice what you intended. Not to punish, not to punish our hearts, but because money chokes out spiritual life. And we discerned that our spiritual life had dialed down in a season where we were grumbling. And we've done it as a practice, actually. If, we're, if there's any of that, we double it. <laughs> Good motivation to keep your heart right, isn't it? <laughs> because we, you steward your heart. Because out of the heart flows the issues of life. Out of the heart flows the words that we speak. Out of the heart, you've got you to be ruthless with your heart sometimes. You've got to tell your heart who's boss. And sometimes you have to do it by telling it, you grumbling? All right, we have made our decision. This is our trajectory of our life. We're doubling it. Even though, again, I don't think we had the resources. Um, we, when, when we got married, the only thing that we knew God had said to us was the nation's. That was the only thing we knew he had said to us. And, and then we had a prophetic word from, we thought we would be in lower staff for two years and we would go to the nations. And a, a very respected prophetic man said, be rooted here, stay here. And we thought, actually, that's right. And so we said, we are here, we're here with you, we're staying here. And we were, we were there another eight years. But we knew we wanted to go to the nations. And so we we adjusted all of our budgets and our planning to create a fund that would fund us to go to the nations because that's where we wanted to go and 
we went to Denmark and we managed to create a fund that supported us to enable us to serve a Danish church there for two years because they couldn't promise a wage, they didn't have any money. And, and so we went there. Again, this is not to... I hope you can see that we're ordinary people wanting to follow Jesus. So we set aside this fund that would enable us actually we lived for two years off it. We actually got jobs, which I got a good, a good job, but really it never was enough to supply what we needed. So we used that fund for two years and it ran out February the 14th, 2006, just the day we were flying. But we, we used that money. I want to say giving is an adventure. For us personally, I think you can, you can argue biblically through into the New Testament that the tithe, that 10%, is a biblical principle, even in New Covenant, because Abraham gave 10% to Melchizedek after that battle, and it was 400 years before the law. Um, so the 10% thing is a really good and helpful starting point, but it's also fun to mix it up a little bit. So we've done things like we've set faith targets and said, what can we do this year that's a bit more than... Just seeing 10% as that starting point for the adventure so that you can step in and go beyond. Let's just read one verse... And then we'll, from 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, remember, and get, hopefully you hear our heart in, and hear my heart in this, I'm, I'm just reading the Bible now, okay, so remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows generously will also reap Generously, Each of you should give what you have decided, okay? Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. He is amazing at this. So we bought a house in Denmark. And we were using this pot to pay part of the mortgage. He knows that he's about, there's about to open in Denmark the biggest shopping mall in the whole of Scandinavia. We don't know that. We just like the house. We buy an insurance for the house that covers any hidden fault that the surveyor doesn't see. And we look at the house and say, what it really needs, it needs to be re-rendered, it needs a new kitchen, it needs a new floor, that room needs a new floor. Everywhere the house needed development, faults began to appear. The floor would rise in a particular room, the rendering fell off the wall... And the insurance company fixed it all as part of the insurance policy. And so we, we were there for two years and we had a completely renovated house that we'd hardly invested in. I think they probably paid thirty five to 40000 worth of renovation work for us. And because this mall had been built with the equivalent of a DLR, everybody wanted our house. 
And so it went for substantially more than we paid for. He, if you, the, the pot that we had grown over eight years, he multiplied that in giving back by four. And I could just tell you story after story where he has richly blessed us abundantly so that in all things we'll have all that we need so that we will abound in every good work. You see, you may have been burnt in the past and hurt by, by giving. You may have had a really bad experience of how giving was communicated to you. Maybe it was commanded of you. Maybe you gave out of fear and legalism. Maybe you just want to run a mile from the topic. Let me finish by saying giving is a life-giving priority. There is a reality in the kingdom that the measure you use is the measure that you return. That you don't give to get, but when you give, you get. Okay? The motivation isn't, I'm going to give to him because he'll multiply and he'll press it down and it'll run over. That's not the motivation. You give because you love him and then he's put a principle in and says, test me in this. I bet you can't outgive me. I bet you can't. Let's have a race. Try and outgive me if you can. Try and out generous me, if there's a word. Be, try and be more generous than I am. I dare you to try. But from a heart that says, I'm in love with you, I'm in love with your kingdom, I'm in love with your purposes, I'm devoted to you, I'm trusting in you, God, I'm going to sow generously with this measure, and God says, I'll demonstrate to you again and again and again that you have a generous father who knows everything that you need. And so sometimes there's a step of faith in all obedience, there's a step of faith where we say, I don't know how this is going to work out, this sounds crazy, this is difficult, I don't know, I've never given before, this feels a bit bad or a bit difficult, is there going to be enough money? Test me in this, God says, with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Go on an adventure with God, collect your own stories, give what you've decided to give, work it with him. Decide with him. Chat with him. Work it through. No one's going to command you to give. Give what you've decided in your heart. But don't do it reluctantly. Don't do it under compulsion. Don't do it because you think someone told you you had to. Do it willingly, joyfully. Can I invite us to stand?